Britain feels broken, but how do we fix it? Westminster just doesn't seem to have the answers, but we have found some people who do. Join me, journalist Becca Hudson, and me, the former MP Ed Vasey, for How I'd Fix. From the price of a pint to the housing crisis, this is the show where we take an alternative look at the problems plaguing the nation. And hear practical solutions from those in the know. Catch new episodes of How I'd Fix wherever you get your podcasts. Rebuilding Britain starts here. Edgy talk, plain talk, unrivaled talk. Mike Graham, the only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On DAB+, on the app, talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk TV, not only Britain's newest television channel, but the world headquarters of Common Sense, the place where you'll get straight talking, the place where you will hear the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. We're live on TV all across the nation today, ladies and gentlemen. I couldn't be more pleased. It all launched last night very successfully here at Talk Towers, and we are all thrilled to be bringing you in vision the message that we have been giving you for the best part of the last two years. And it is, of course, that we respect you. We respect freedom. We respect freedom of speech and freedom of choice. And that is entirely what we will be doing over the course of the next three hours. We're kicking off this morning with Baroness Fox, Claire Fox from the House of Lords, who's going to be giving us her view on Elon Musk, the man who has just paid $44 billion to take over Twitter to, he says, democratise it and put people back into places where they used to be. Donald Trump interviewed last night by Piers Morgan, uh, says he doesn't want to rejoin Twitter because he's going to stick with his own social media. I predict that he will rejoin it because he will know if he wants to run for president in 2024, he's going to need a bigger platform than one he's currently got on social media. We're also going to talk about doctors. Apparently, GPs now want to stop working at 5pm. Well, that's helpful, isn't it? How on earth are you supposed to get a doctor's appointment if they only work 9 to 5? And some people are also saying they want a new bank holiday. They want one for the Queen's uh, Platinum Jubilee this year. But people in business are saying, oh, we should be helping other people in the community so they can thank each other and have yet another day off. Well, we don't need another day off. And I'll be telling you why later on as well. Laura Dodsworth is here. She's got plenty to say about all manner of things, the woke culture, all sorts of problems that are going on uh, in the world of gender and what, what makes a woman a woman. We'll also be talking, of course, about Angela Rayner. That story's going on. Freedom of the press very much at stake here. The Speaker of the House seems to think it's a good idea to call an editor of a newspaper into the Houses of Parliament to ask him what he thinks he's doing. Well, I wouldn't bother going if I were you. I think the editor of the Mail on Sunday should stay in his office uh, and not move. Thank you very much indeed. If you need any lessons in anything at all, this is the place to get them. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We want your uh, involvement just as much as we ever did. We're going to keep taking your calls. We're going to keep hearing your stories. And we're going to keep projecting those stories to the people in power so that you can fix whatever it is that you need to fix. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. It's epic. And so... Here we are for the very first time sitting high above the River Thames. The sun is shining, the sky is blue. It looks amazing out there. Uh, I'm grateful to all of you for tuning in. Uh, many of you tuned in last night for the first time. Uh, and thank you very much for joining us. It's time to say a very, very good morning to Claire Fox, who is, of course, Baroness Fox of Buckley. 
How it's nice a, to see you. It's a great honour to be on your opening show Listen, on Talk TV. I couldn't have thought of a better person to have on because you, we've mate. got so many things to talk about this morning, uh, particularly as I think the world has kind of changed slightly overnight. Piers Morgan, you know, who an awful lot of people think is a very Marmite character, but love him or hate him, his show last night was brilliant. He made an attack on the woke. He said that it's not about, you know, being miserable. It's not about shouting at people. It's about having proper debates about talking to people in a, in a splendidly kind of intelligent manner, listening to their arguments, and then maybe rejecting them. But the point is, we must be having them. We can't be being shut down. And then Elon Musk comes along and pays $44 billion, uh, to buy Twitter. And already you can see some changes there. I think that the Elon Musk thing is absolutely extraordinary because... I don't want to be dewy-eyed about this. I mean, I'm not going to personally rely on a billionaire in order to guarantee free speech. Um, I'm I'm nervous about, and it's one of the themes of your show in your introduction, which is the people should be the ones who decide mm. the culture of free speech in this yeah. country, not like the billionaires or the powerful. Right. However, however, it's a bit exciting that the person who has just bought Twitter has declared that free speech is the foundation of democracy. Yes. And, and it's also very encouraging. Rare. Isn't it very encouraging that one of his first statements is that he hopes that his enemies and his critics stay on Twitter exactly. because that's what free speech is about. Because too many people, I think, have got the idea that free speech is only for people that they agree with. Exactly. And it's so not for the people they don't like. He, he, I mean, you know, that's he's basically talking the talk. I think, but we'll see what the culture of free speech is like from the reaction to Elon Musk buying yeah. Twitter. I mean, my goodness, overnight we've had Amnesty International, we've had the American Civil Liberties Union, which is, I mean, to use the phrase, gone woke over the mm. last few years, absolutely saying we can't have a platform that's going to allow free speech because it'll mean hate speech. Yeah. So you actually, we've seen half of the Democratic Party, lots of uh, opposition uh, politicians, all sorts of politicians in this country saying, oh, what a disaster it is, Elon Musk is taking over and he's emphasising free speech, no ifs, no buts. Mm. Now that tells you a lot about the culture of free speech when leading politicians immediately assume that free speech will equal offensive hate speech yeah. and they don't want to hear it. And therefore, we've got to know that that censorious atmosphere is a real challenge. And Elon Musk and the reaction to Elon Musk shows us a dark side mm. of people who just believe that not everyone should have free speech. Absolutely, because Julie Hartley Brewer was talking about this this morning and saying that, you know, it's all very well to say, as some do, mostly on the left, um, that, you know, they can't have people being irresponsible. For example, during COVID, they didn't want people putting out, you know, theories of how you could treat the disease, uh, what you should be doing to have a COVID party so you can spread it and all of that. But at the end of the day, uh, she said, yeah, but people were also being blocked from, uh, from access to Twitter if they started questioning lockdowns and if they started questioning many things which were the government's narrative. And you can't be run like that if you are supposedly a democratic free country. Well, it's one of the things I'm worried about, the online um, uh, safety bill that's yeah. coming up, because um, misinformation it can be over-subjective. Now, God knows there's cranky theories out there. Hmm. There's a lot of people who've talked an awful lot of nonsense, both in relation to COVID, but about the war yes. in Ukraine, about anything else. And I don't like people who just talk nonsense mm. and have no facts for it or, you know, make it up. Yeah. However, the best way of dealing with that, it seems to me, is the disinfectant of basically seeing it in the mm -hmm. sunlight so that we can all go, what a cranky theory, yeah. that's nonsense. Exactly. Argue against it. Mm. If you ban it, if it gets removed, guess what? It just goes in the dark web. Mm. And we've seen an awful lot of people going down the rabbit hole because as soon as things get banned, 
and label misinformation. They assume go, oh, there's something to hide no, and they won't follow talk it about, down. Yeah, and they go, oh, you won't talk about it. Somebody's told you not to talk about it, which is incorrect on almost any count. Exactly, but, it, but it, gives, it gives a certain glamour hmm. to the information that's banned. But it's also the case that what is labelled misinformation is dangerously anything that goes against the orthodoxy. Yes. And politically, that's very bad. Even in terms of science, and I, and I heard uh, Toby Young saying this earlier, but it's very true. The scientific method, the whole point, purpose of science, is that it needs to be refuted so that it can argue back. I mean, it's not that it argues back, but that you actually can test out hypotheses. That's what science mm. is and how it develops. Yes. So if you put it in a, a bubble and don't allow alternative views, science will get stuck and become mm. a dogma and it becomes the science yes. and doesn't even work as well, science. Well, I mean, we've got the latest story this morning in front page of the Daily Telegraph about hepatitis cases rising amongst young kids um, yeah. because of COVID, because yeah. of the fact that they were not out and about, they were not mixing with other children yeah. and their immune systems were therefore kind of compromised. Yeah. And, and I'm not even sure that we know if that's what it is, but yeah. the point is that's definitely a hypothesis mm. We need to discuss it and we need to know why is an outbreak of uh, mm. hepatitis happening. I happen to think that that immune system problem of people not actually being open and out, as you say, young uh, kids are more prone to getting illness mm. because they've been locked away. Yeah. But let's see. Yes. But let's have that but argument and the discussion. I, I can imagine a time a couple of years ago when that story would not have been run. Entirely. And if it had been published on Twitter, it might have had that account closed down. You know, we had an issue with um, uh, YouTube way back when, when they banned talk radio from YouTube. The YouTube channel was taken down. And they never really fully explained, apart from to say, oh, well, you must have uh, uh, you know, compromised in some way the editorial guidelines of YouTube, which we hadn't done. You know, we're governed by Ofcom. Ofcom had not had a problem with anything we had said, but YouTube took us down. Well, listen, there was a debate the other night um, on somewhere um, between uh, two people, one person arguing... Basically, the vaccines hadn't been very efficacious, didn't really save lives. Uh, but another person arguing absolutely mm. that, that was nonsense. Yeah. Guess what? YouTube took it down overnight. Really? So just as we're talking see, about... that's the problem, isn't just it? As we're, and, and the irony was, was that it was both sides represented, yeah. but they took it down. Right. So, of course, that will, as I say, fuel this notion that there's people in charge who don't want you to know. Mm. And I think that the scary bit for me about the online safety bill that I know will be a talking point because the Queen's speech is going to announce it's going to be a major part yeah. of the next 18 months legislative programme for me and now it's a law so I'm a bit preoccupied but they will decide this is misinformation they'll argue mm. that you shouldn't be able to know and one of the big things about free speech is not the right to talk but it's the right to listen yes it's so that you can hear and see a vast variety of things. You yeah. get to decide and what's listen, rubbish or not. There's no question that, that some people abuse the free speech rights that they have. And there's no question that I would like to see, preferably, not nastiness on Twitter. Course, I, I, I'm, I'm encouraged to see that Elon Musk is looking at, and I know you and I differ on this, uh, on looking at taking away yeah. anonymity from accounts, because I think that's a massive problem. And I don't have a problem with people having an anonymous account as such, as long as somebody knows that it's a real individual. Because I think that's where the problem lies. And maybe you can agree with me on this, that if, it, if it's somebody who can have their details logged somewhere, I don't personally need to know what they are, but whoever's yeah. running it needs to know. I think that's a compromise that I could probably live Yeah, there with. we are. Um, I think, but listen, um, <laughs> it was actually Karl Marx who said this, but you can't pick, pick a rose without thorns. Mm. 
I think that's a really important it point is. about freedom. You cannot have free societies without the downsides of yes. it. The downsides of free societies is there are an awful lot of people who are idiots yeah. saying and doing yeah. silly things that I personally don't approve of. Yes. But in a free society, we learn to rub along. I mean, I, rub, I, I sort of liken it to those horrible chants that some football fans do at rival yeah. teams. And anyone who's a football fan says, oh, yeah, it's all just part of the fun and the banter. If you go there in isolation and having never seen it before, watch what they're doing, you think, my God, that's this disgraceful. Is monstrous. It's yeah. really awful. But actually, you know, a bigger part of me says, you know, let them have their fun. You know, it's not as terrible as it looks. The thing is, is that very often what is deemed to be the most offensive, the most vile kind of uh, remarks are actually slightly more tongue-in-cheek. But I agree that mm. if you're on the receiving end of them, you might feel slightly differently. But it's just that whether you then say it should be banned. Yeah. And of course, if it's a subjective decision about what somebody finds offensive, we'll find, as we have done, that everybody from gender-critical feminists mm. to, you know, lesbians and gays... I mean, it's interesting because a lot of lesbians and gays have been attacked by... Guess what? The free speech we'll rules back. on Twitter. We'll come back to that because we've got Claire Fox, we've got loads to do. We want to hear from you, of course, as well on this free speech with limits, free speech without limits. Which is it going to be? What will Elon Musk choose? I'm on his side for now. This is Talk TV. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on TV, on Talk TV for the first time. This is our first live show uh, on national television. We're very, very excited about it. We're very delighted to be here. Uh, I've chosen, um, it makes me sound like some kind of kingmaker, uh, Baroness Claire Fox to be with me this morning because it is a big free speech day, not least because Elon Musk has bought Twitter, but also the other big story and the other big thing that is concerning, I think, about free speech is the is the mission creep, I think, from Parliament from government particularly. I mean, we saw during the COVID pandemic that politicians and certainly members of the cabinet and even the prime minister would only give interviews to certain people and would yeah. just refuse other people point blank. I suppose it's their right to do that. But this latest Angela Rayner story uh, has really got me going in terms of the free press. You know, the Speaker of the House has summoned the editor of the Mail on Sunday to come and see him to explain himself and possibly to give out um, a confidential source, which is actually covered by lobby rules, is it not? Absolutely. Look, there's two parts of this story. And the first thing to stress is that I can tell you now, as some, one of the things I absolutely hate in politics over decades is that vile accusation that women use their sexual wiles to yeah. get on. I mean, it's the most degrading it accusation. Is so this is not the same as a bit of sexist banter. This right. is like the actual idea that you as a woman do that in order to get on and you've only got on yes. because you've flashed your eyes, yes. your legs and whatever. I mean, right? to be honest, I, I would have thought it. that that was the realm of a sort of 1970s sitcom. Yeah, and it, but, but actually a lot of people over the years you do use that against their political opponents. So I hate that. When I read the article, I was furious. was one of the first people to tweet out how vile it was. Yep. Now, I'm thoroughly shocked by the fact that the Speaker of the House of Commons thinks that they can boss the press around mm. in that way because press freedom is an I mean talk about we were saying free speech is the yeah. bedrock of a free society I mean press freedom let's just go and ask shall we the people in Russia what it's like when the press are not free yes we do not need politicians telling people what they can and can't print and look you can have a gutter press 
right? But I'd rather have a gutter press yeah. that was free yeah. than an unfree press yes. that was all pristine and mm. only said the right thing. And listen, we can easily say that there were times when the gutter press, if you want to call it that, um, was not the best behaved press in the world, but it's a very different animal now. Exactly. And, but anyway, the point is, it's free. It should be free to say and print articles that I don't like, that yeah. I find offensive. Yeah. That is the deal. The point about the Angela Rayner story is that it's also in danger of wiping out what was really horrible about that article, because now everyone's saying that misogyny is rampant throughout Westminster. Every woman politician is walking around in dread yeah. and fear of attacks. Mm. This is a hyperbole gone mad. This is not true. Yeah. Most female politicians do get a bit more uh, aggro on social media. Uh, there are some sexist attitudes around, but by and large, there is an over-exaggeration of the idea that women are feebly and vulnerably mm. wandering around under an attack of vile MPs on the other side. Yes. So one horrible article should not amount to a moral panic that undermines press freedom. No. And really, the speaker's got a stop speaking on this question. I really think so, because it's a, a value judgment that he's making uh, on whether this particular newspaper should have written this particular article. Yeah. I mean, I've heard people making arguments about, well, what about all the people uh, who would have seen the piece, you know, like from the reporter who wrote it to the person who edited it, to the sub-editors, the people who put it on the page, the people who picked the pictures, yeah. you know, why were they not in up in arms saying this is outrageous? Well, because not everybody thinks the same way. Exactly, and also, do they want to cull of all those people? Yeah. And your point about the demand that they reveal their sources yeah. is not just against the lobby rules, that's against the whole of journalistic sure. ethics, right? You do not have to tell. Yeah. It's very simple. I mean, we do not want all this kind of snitching behind people's backs, right? Well, we I don't we... like anonymous briefing no. all the time, but it's been valuable. But it has a place, right? It's like whistleblowing. Yeah. This might be an example where you think, oh, what a vile thing to have said. It probably happened in the bar mm. and somebody said it. But that doesn't make any difference. No. The principle is what matters here. Exactly right. And also, if you remember back again to the days of the pandemic, Neil O'Brien, uh, as a Tory MP, now I think uh, a member of the Cabinet oh. or a junior minister, he was actually putting a list of names together, and on, on which Julie Hartley Brewer was one, I don't know if I was another one, uh, of people who he decided in his wisdom uh, were not sort of towing the party line one of on the most un, one of the most unsavory aspects of that lockdown i'm mm. glad you've remembered because that was a blacklist yeah and guess what we don't believe in blacklists no. a list of names i was added to one by mm. somebody in the house of lords right. that, that put me on some secret twitter list right. that was basically covid deniers i was absolutely furious and i, I only found out because they made a mistake yes. and copied me in Oops. well the point exactly so that was quite enjoyable That's and then i was, I was able to see people. i know i really like i was thinking <laughs> you daft person but yeah. anyway and um, but this was a senior i'd only just gone in the lords and this was a senior front bench spokesperson mm. adding me on a list of COVID deniers. Yeah. And I've never been a COVID denier. But it, anyway, the point was, it was intense. Look, it's, it's a McCarthy attempt yes. at discrediting people, delegitimising them, branding them so that they're beyond the pale. Mm. So, yes, you're absolutely right. Neil O'Brien did do that. The point is that politicians have to be. A certain amount of humility is required when it comes to the media. Yes. Even though the media is not always to my liking or to my taste, a free press should be awkward, say terrible things. Yeah. You've got to put up with the good and the bad. I'm afraid so. I mean, I've said this before as well. I'm not really that bothered about what kind of character my MP is or what type of character my Prime Minister is, providing they're doing the job properly. But at the moment, I worry that they are so full of themselves that they think 
that they tell us what to do as opposed to the other way around. They work for me. They work for you. Well, in your case, you work for you as well. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the point is, is that yeah. we're in charge here, not them. No, I know. It's exactly right. But it's also the case that the media have not done themselves any favours no. when they've gone along with a lot of the yes. orthodoxies no, coming out that. of the government. And so, actually, I want a, I want a, a more argumentative media. Mm. You know, I don't want them dealing oh, with Angela Rayner's legs. Right. I want them to be asking questions about, for example, yeah. why hospital visits aren't carrying on yes. at the moment, even right. though there's no pandemic. Right. Why are you still only getting 30 minutes a week to mm. see somebody in a care home? I mean, God, the scandals are go-go All here. of these things are massive. And I've been saying this for weeks and weeks and weeks, since last November, actually, when I was calling for Boris Johnson's resignation then, because it wasn't about cake. It was about all the things that yeah. weren't happening that he promised would happen. So I don't want a supine press. No. I want the press to be asking more questions. I want them to move away from a rather narrow obsession mm. with Partygate, by the way, yes. and a rather superficial demand that there's more restrictions on everything. In other words, I'd like a more diverse media landscape, yeah. which is why I'm delighted to be on this show now, yes. asking awkward questions. Yeah. So what you don't need are political representatives saying that you've got to be sanitised mm. and only ask certain kind no. of questions and print certain kind of articles yeah. and demanding to see sources. Because that is, as I've reminded people, when we look at what's happening in Russia, just remember the kind of countries that clamp down on the media, yeah. can we? Yes. And we might moan about our media here. God knows I've moaned about newspapers over the years. Sure. They've treated me abysmally and written ridiculous nonsense stories about me. But I never believe in libel actions and I don't believe on any restrictions on the press. And I hold by that because I believe in free speech. Yeah, absolutely Warts right. and all, no ifs, no buts. Yeah, absolutely right. Baroness Claire Fox. What a refreshing uh, voice to hear first thing on the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on TV, on Talk TV for the first time. And by the way, for anybody out there who's sitting there writing for anybody like the Guardian, uh, who say, oh, yeah, look, the right-wing bigots have got their own TV channel. Well, we just quoted from Karl Marx, and it wasn't derisory either. It was actually rather nice. Claire, we'll see you again soon. Thank you very much indeed. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We are here uh, every single weekday from one until four. You can get us on Sky. You can get us on Virgin. If you're not watching now on either of those, you can also get it on Freeview and on FreeSat as well. It's a beautiful day. It's a wonderful uh, thing that we're doing. We want you to join in. We want your views as well. We're going to get some news headlines here at Talk TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. We've been championing the cause. We are putting together uh, a, a sort of ongoing and rolling dossier of stories in order to hand them to Sajid Javid, the Secretary of State for Health, in order to make sure that people can get what they want from what is in, in increasingly now a very, very failing and underperforming NHS. Let's talk to Dr. Renee Hundekamp, who is a GP herself. Dr. Renee, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Morning, Mike. Thanks for having me on your first show. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. There's a couple of things to talk to you about with this hepatitis thing, but I wondered if we could start with um, the GPs, because obviously you're, you are a GP yourself. Um, yeah. I was told just the other day um, that there's going to be a vote coming up because GPs now want to work even less hours than they do already. Tell us about that. Well, I saw this story, actually, and I thought it was parody. I mean, it really goes back to everything that I've been saying, Mike, that there is no acceptance amongst the people that are running GPs, you know, the RCGP, the BMA, that there's a problem. They're not reading the room. And whilst I understand all of the staffing problems, the burnout, less GPs now than there was 10 years ago, it doesn't matter when we're losing the trust of the people. And they only have to tune in to shows like yours, read Alison Pearson in the Telegram, 
telegraph, any radio or TV they switch on has people telling the most horrific stories. I was at the school gates yesterday listening to a mum tell me how she cannot get to see a GP for her six-year-old. And so it goes on. So until we admit there's a problem, whether we like that problem or not, how are we ever going to find a solution? And to suddenly deny there's a problem and say, oh, and by the way, we want to cut our core hours as well, is staggering. Well, it is. I mean, it's hard enough, isn't it, for most ordinary people, particularly if they're working people, um, to get uh, some time off to even get to see a doctor. If they can only work nine to five effectively, I mean, that's going to rule out for most people any chance of ever seeing a doctor. It's really it's really bizarre. And I think it's just I think it's brinkmanship, actually, having spent a lot of my life negotiating before I was a doctor, you know, it's the person who makes the most outrageous demand who generally gets closer to where they want to be. And I think because there's this suggestion now that GPs have to open on Saturdays nine to five into the evening until late 30, they're going on the counterattack with a, a ridiculous suggestion that they actually cut their core hours mm. in order to finish up where they were again. That's all I can imagine that it is because there's certainly no appreciation of how people are feeling. And the thing is, Mike, what I don't understand is most people will say, given the choice, no, I'll do it by telephone, actually, because that suits me better. And that's why I don't understand why we don't just give patients the choice. How do you want to be seen? And I don't think GPs would be inundated with people in their surgeries. I think they would have the people who really want to be there, but the rest would carry on. Yes. And there was a time, I seem to remember, when my older children were younger, if you're if you can get your head around that, um, when I used to sort of visit occasionally these drop-in centres, which seemed quite successful um, for a period of time. Do they have those anymore? Because I think a lot of people would use those if they really knew that they could literally drop in and you say maybe had to wait 20 minutes to see somebody, but it wasn't your regular doctor. So there are still walk-in centres, although over COVID they became non-walk-in centres. You couldn't walk into them. Right. Um, and they you were funnelled into them by 111. And, you know, there are still GPs in A&E who try and funnel people away who don't need to be there but do need to see a GP. And I do that, as you know. But I agree with you that drop-in centres, walk-in centres are a good idea. The only thing I will say is, having worked in them occasionally, quite often people don't want to come to a GP on their bank holiday or their Sunday because that's their time with their family or doing whatever they like to do. So I don't think there's this extraordinary demand to see a GP, you know, out of hours on a Sunday, on bank holidays, etc. But I do think there is a demand to just be able to see a GP and not have to navigate 27 Mm. hurdles before you get to that point. No, I think you're absolutely right. And people are fed up to the back teeth as well of the ridiculous rules that are being run in so many hospitals, so many foundation trusts that we've spoken about over the last few weeks where you still can't get in. Many hospitals don't let you visit a a, a sick relative at all. Some only let you in for one hour a day. Some will only let one person in. I mean, it's a nonsense. When is it going to be fixed? I think it's, I actually think it's barbaric. And as you know, Mike, I did a thread tweet overnight about Mm. my my partner's father. And I did that really not because I was champing at the bit about our family situation, because as you know, I've championed people and children since the beginning of this. But what it has done, as anyone can see, is if you read the replies on that thread, it is heartbreaking. Mm. People actually experiencing the same thing. One visitor for the duration of an elderly person's stay or anyone's stay, um, you know, 
only an hour a day. You go in there and you find an elderly person who's unclean, unshaven, not eating, not being offered hot drinks because there's no one to help them drink it. They've lost their, you know, hearing aids, their teeth. And this has gone on before COVID, mark my words, because before I became a GP, I considered doing care of the elderly and I couldn't do it because mm. it broke my heart. And I just decided there was not much care of the elderly, but it's got worse by COVID. And I think by withholding visitors, we are actually seeing the demise of people who would not necessarily die so soon. Mm. And yet, ironically, it has it's all been done in the name of saving people, but it well isn't. People. Well, it's really not. And I mean, just to bring us on to the final point we wanted to make this morning about this hepatitis outbreak, um, it's being linked to lockdown. Uh, people not sure exactly why so many young children seem to be uh, getting hepatitis in, in quite serious ways in, in some cases, particularly up in Scotland, bizarrely. Um, but clearly another sort of victim of the NHS COVID policy, which was to basically keep everybody inside to not allow children out so that their immune systems were kind of compromised. What do you make of it? So, I mean, it's important to say at this stage that we don't know what's causing this hepatitis. So anything I say today is speculation. Yeah. There is a 75% connection with adenovirus. So 75% of these children have got adenovirus. Now, there are hundreds of adenoviruses that children see day in, day out when they are normally at school and mixing in society. So it's fair to make the assumption that because they've been kept away from normal um, mixing and school, et cetera, they haven't developed their immune system properly. So when they are meeting these adenoviruses now, instead of being able to bat them off quite simply, their immune system is not naive, doesn't recognise it, may be going into overdrive, and it could be the overdrive and inflammation that's causing this, or it could be the virus itself, we just don't know. But I think people seem to miss the point with children that when they're born they have no innate immune system like we do and over the next five to ten years at school they develop that and the way that they develop it is by meeting these colds viruses they have to get them colds and upset tummies and they have to get them so that their immune system recognizes them on a low dose basis so that in the future if they get a big dose they can recognize mm. it and beat it we need pathogens in our life especially as children yeah. it's how the immune system develops you take that away and you develop problems for the future absolutely renee great to talk to you thank you so much for being on our first show dr renee hundekamp there a gp uh, with her take on why it is that gps want to work fewer hours see less patients and actually make the nhs service even worse than it is this is talk tv Common sense for the common people. Solid talk. Hot talk. The independent republic of Mike Graham. On DAB Plus, on the app, talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to Talk TV and, of course, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. If you haven't seen it before, welcome to a brand new world because this is the place where optimism reigns. This is not the place where we sit around complaining about what terrible things are happening to the world. Yes, we tell you that there are some terrible things, but we try and find solutions. We try uh, to actually get some proper debate going. We don't mind what your views are. In fact, we rather encourage you to come onto the air and tell us what you think because you, after all, are the people that make this station work. We have built this thing from you, from the ground up. We have not built it from the top down, uh, thereby ruling out any kind of involvement by anybody ordinary, because ordinary is good. There's nothing wrong with being ordinary. There's nothing wrong with being normal. There's nothing wrong uh, with being all of those words that for some reason the wokerati would like you not to use. What do you mean normal? What does that mean? Well, it means normal, doesn't it? Look it up. 
for heaven's sake. Uh, the people of this country deserve better than what they've been getting, not only from their politicians, but also from their media. And that's why we're here. Uh, we're going to be here for a long time and we're going to make it work. OK, Laura Dodsworth is here with me, uh, as she always is uh, on this particular time, on this particular day. She's got plenty to say about Emmanuel Macron. She's got plenty to say about climate change. GCSEs, and we might even get around to talking a little bit about how she was ahead of the curve on the Elon Musk Twitter scenario. 0344 499 1000. We also want your calls. We're hearing that doctors want to work less. We're hearing that you can't get a passport. We're also hearing, of course, that there might be shortages. But there is one piece of good news out there. Apparently, the chickens have all been freed. No more lockdown for the chickens. They're out. So when you used to go to the uh, supermarket and you couldn't find any free-range eggs, well, now you can because the chickens have been released. Hallelujah. First day of Talk TV and already freedom is all around. Uh, This is, of course, the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. This is Talk TV. Thank you very much indeed for joining us this morning. If you're watching us for the first time on Sky, on Virgin, on um, Freesat, on Freeview, welcome uh, to the brand new television station that everybody's talking about. Laura, and welcome to the first show on Good the morning. Independent Republic. Thank you oh, for it's coming. Lovely. Thanks for having your brand spanking new Independent lovely? Republic. I love it. I like the blue. I like the orange. It's, it's dynamic. A bright... It's like... It's, fam- it's familiar enough that we kind of feel like we, we know what we're doing in the same place, but yes. different enough to be glittering and exciting. It is. And- it's a bit like getting your house kind of remade, uh, isn't it? When you walk in and you go, oh, I like this new colour. Yeah, nice. yeah, definitely. Sadly, I have to go back to the same old house. But I did start my day with the free-range eggs this morning. Oh, and, good. And the free-range bacon. It's great news for the chickens, you know, because the chickens have been under <laughs> lockdown. Um, and I was tongue-in-cheek at one point saying, well, surely if you're worried about them passing avian flu to one another, wouldn't you just make them wear masks? People gave me so much unbelievable... No, but they thought I was serious. People were like, look at this idiot. Mm. This is the bloke that did the thing about concrete. He now thinks that you can stop bird flu by putting masks on chickens. And I'm like, well, surely the masks would stop it, wouldn't they? Because we all know please, that they Please stop. don't give them ideas, Mike. Okay, don't. I'm sorry. But I, you know, I want to pick up on something in your little intro then. Yes. Because I do think of you as the home of common sense. I love coming in here. I've been doing this now for quite a long time, yes. coming in every week. And we talk about all kinds of really interesting things. And often before other people are talking about them. You know, you said with this time, let's talk mm. about Elon Musk. Do you know what? Let's slot that in right at the beginning because I feel like I'm getting some brownie points for yes, this. Yes, you should. Because we, we did talk about it before the story really broke. Basically, as soon as Jack Dorsey and Elon Musk were talking about whether Twitter's algorithms should be public, mm. yes, they should. What Twitter needs is transparency, not more regulation. And I would say that feeds through to all of our approach to free speech. Let's have mm. everything transparent. But it's interesting, isn't it, how many people don't like that? You yes. know, Twitter's in absolute meltdown. Mm. People saying that bullying is going to be rife and the only way to protect democracy is to stifle free speech or something. Oh, really? Isn't it funny, though, they don't object to the bullying that's currently going on uh, because it's all in favour of the things that they believe in. So, for example, bullying J.K. Rowling is OK uh, and anyone who supports her because they're on the right side of the argument. I think the problem is that some of the people that are really worried about what the effect of Elon Musk buying Twitter is going to be is because they're worried that some of their own medicine is going to come back at them. But the fact is that people who are genuinely proponents of free speech don't bully or try to censor in return. I don't think that's how it's going to be. Look, I'll be honest, I think we're in a dangerous situation where we're expecting billionaires to ride in on their white steeds Mm. and save free speech. This is not how it should be. But if it's how it has to begin then fine. Also, Good. people talk about, you know, in the dangers of Twitter being in the hands of a sort of mad multi-billionaire, you know, um, entrepreneur. One of the biggest shareholders of Twitter before this, and one of the people who blocked his original bid, mm. was a prince in Saudi Arabia. 
because the Saudi Arabian royal family held a massive stake in Twitter. Now, I didn't even know that until relatively recently. But but I didn't see see anybody uh, who's now currently weeping and wailing about Elon Musk saying a damn thing about Mm. Saudi Arabia. And I'd like to think that actually, if I wanted my rights protected by someone, I'd go for Elon Musk every time. Absolutely. Thank you. Now let's ruffle some more feathers. The chickens are out the hen house. Very good. Let's, let's, see what r- you let's did ruffle there. some more feathers. And actually, it's it's about climate. Now, Nadine Zahawi said something last year, which again I mentioned on this show at the time because I think I thought at the time it was quite a worrying portent. Mm. He said that education is one of our best weapons in the fight against climate crisis. Yes. Now I would argue that education should never be a weapon. No. Education should be education. But Nadine Zahawi joins a glorious rank of um, politicians and statesmen who have held this point of view. In fact, I don't think Nadine Zahawi will like the um, comparison, but Chairman Mao once said, all work in school is for changing the thinking of the student. Now, now, hang on a second, just before you go on, right? We at uh, Talk TV, the home of common sense, and also sometimes accused of being a right-wing kind of, you know, narrative station. So far this morning, you've just quoted from Chairman Mao, Claire Fox quoted from Karl Marx. Interesting. What's going on? However, I don't have a communist bone in my body. Me neither. At all. And the reason I'm quoting Chow is I, uh, uh, Chairman Mao, Chow, I just Chow. turned him into. It's a good short, <laughs> it's a short form. Chow. I'd Chow, probably, baby. I'd probably be stuck in some gulag for that, though, if he were alive today. No, the. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the f*** are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The reason I'm quoting him is I think that um, using education in order to change young people's thinking, to push forwards controversial political goals is not what education should be about. And so I think that my my worry about that being a portent has come to fruition because on Earth Day it was announced that there's a new GCSE joining mm. the ranks of the others and it's been dubbed a climate GCSE or a saving the planet GCSE. It's a natural history GCSE. But make no mistake, it is not just about natural history. The Oxford and Cambridge RSA, the examination and awarding body that's launched it, has openly said it's about greening the curriculum. 
And although, I don't like that word, greening, do you? I don't, because actually there's another way of looking at it, and it's about not brainwashing so much as greenwashing children's brains. Mm. Obviously, children are susceptible to information. You know, yeah. they're like sponges for information, but also susceptible to fears. Now, the curriculum has yet to be set in stone, but when you read what people involved in defining that curriculum are saying, it's very much about anthropogenic climate change. This yeah. is man-made climate of change. Of course. Well, that's not in uh, question anymore, according to these people, is it? There is no room for debate, I think, is their mm. usual argument. Well, I think there's two aspects to this. First of all, anyone that's been at least somewhat red-pilled by following the science yes. during COVID is going to be now sceptical to hear that the science is settled. The science should never be settled. It's mm. always about questioning, challenging hypotheses, and it should be about free and open debate. So yeah. being told the science is settled is a worry in itself. But regardless of what you think about man-made climate change, and beyond that, the implications of it, what are the challenges for the planet and what do we do about it? There's another thing to consider, which is this behavioural psychology approach to the younger generation. Yeah. Now, this GCSE is part of a bigger movement that's going on. Now, the Behavioural Insights team, that's the nudge unit, published a report last year, which was very swiftly unpublished. And that talked about using education. Beyond that, um, there's an organisation called CAST, that's academics from Cardiff and Bath University, and they're also about changing our attitudes towards climate by socially transforming us. And children are very much at the centre of this. What does that mean exactly, socially transforming us? There are people who don't believe that we're going to mitigate climate change without changing our behaviour. Mm. So behavioural science is seen as one of the key approaches to tackling climate change. Right. Now... This is all having a really big impact on young people's brains. So CAST, this academic body, did a study among 10,000 young people and it found that 59% of young people aged 16 to 25 are extremely worried about climate change. 75% yeah. think the future is frightening and 83% think that people have failed to take care of the planet. So this is how young people are yeah. feeling about climate change. And I looked at this survey they conducted. It didn't ask young people to agree with a single positive or neutral statement. They were all really gloomy. Things like, humanity is doomed. Yeah. There is no future. I mean, you would listen to some of these Extinction Rebellion uh, maniacs when they're interviewed and they actually mm. genuinely seem mentally disturbed by the whole thing, that they've been terrified yeah. Uh, out of their wits by what they've been told, that they really genuinely believe that the world is going to end, that the human race is going to become extinct, and that unless we literally stop, you know, pumping petrol into your car now, it's all going to happen. Well, it's not so long ago, it's last year, that Roger Hallam produced a video called Advice to Young People as They Face Annihilation. <laughs> That's the title, OK? <laughs> That's all right, then. And he said that if we don't get emissions to zero within months humanity will be wiped out. Yeah. Now, we're still here. Do you think he would recommend you go here, large at McDonald's on. since the world annihilation is coming round the corner? You might well, as well just get on with it and have he, a good time. This video is from last year and we're still mm. here. And this is the problem. that A lot of the um, really alarming predictions don't quite come to pass. They never do. Except the young people are being frightened well, by Well, nowadays it. what they do is they quote, uh, they've now put sort of teenagers out to argue with people like me and Julie Hartley Brewer and they go, yes, but we know you don't understand the science and have you not seen the IPCC report? To which I say, well, yeah, I've not only seen the IPCC 
report, but I've seen all the IPCC reports. We've been warning about this since about 1989, and not once have they actually been correct. And the problem is the IPCC reports omit certain facts in order to present an ideologically driven And in the same way, isn't it interesting? We're going to have to stop in a second because we've got very tight and rigorous deadlines here at the new Independent Republic of Micro. We might have freedom of speech, but we haven't got freedom when it comes to getting out of uh, um, in on time. But so we'll, we'll we'll come back to this in a moment. But here's the thing I want you to think about because basically, if in fact we were to stop. Um, doing all of the things that these people want us to stop doing, like driving cars, flying in planes. It would be a minimum of 10 years before anything made any difference at all. Mm. If it did make any difference, which it probably wouldn't, unless the entire world did it. But only if the entire world did it, would it make a difference. And the other thing that I find interesting uh, is that we are now seeing unravelling all the government's policy and all the sage advice and all the nudge unit stuff and all the behavioural science they've said that we shouldn't have clamped down on holidays as much as we did. You know, we shouldn't have locked children away from going to school. We probably shouldn't have done as many lockdowns as we had. So all of that, which is now being picked up by the climate crowd, um, is already being proved to be incorrect. So we'll come back with Laura Dodsworth yeah, on that. More um, to say. More to say on that. More to say on Emmanuel Macron as well. More of your calls to take as well. 0344 499 1000. Please do call. This is Talk TV. Essential, edgy, engaging. Advanced postulation for any angry nation. Ask for it by name. Talk Radio. The home of common sense. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Laura Dosworth is here with us. She is, of course, uh, the author of one of the most popular books about lockdown. Why don't you give it a plug while you're here? Why not? Because we've got a new audience today. Sunday Times bestseller, A State of Fear, How the UK Government Weaponised Fear During the COVID-19 Pandemic. And it's really, actually, with everything that I learned from mm. researching that book, the behavioural sciences science feud, that I've been applying that to observing what's going on with climate. And the fact that children's education, children's fears are being weaponised now in climate. So we were just talking about that loosely before. You know, in Germany, there's a group of young people that call themselves the last generation. And a group of them went on hunger strike and several of them ended up in hospital. This is how far children's yeah. fears are going. That's ridiculous, okay? isn't it? So children's fears in education shouldn't be weaponised. They're not little foot soldiers. There's a new article on my Substack out about it. I just retweeted yesterday. that. Oh, thank you. And... If anybody thinks that I might be exaggerating how children's fears are being weaponised, read the substack. I've given several examples from existing GCSEs where information is not given in a proper context or it's incorrect to exaggerate climate change Mm. concerns. It's all very ideologically driven. And I really think children's brains should be left out of it. They don't deserve these fears. The fact is that many of these projections never come to pass. You said you've been reading the IPCC for years. They don't come to pass. They change the goalposts. But each time we're just dragging another generation of kids Mm. into a new set of fears that they don't need to be going on. And the way that it's presented is not it's not presented as a scenario that might happen. It's presented as something that will definitely happen unless we do something different that's the way it's presented it's not presented as though you know if things get really bad and if we're really unlucky you know this could be one scenario that happens yeah it's not about that it's about if you don't stop doing what you're doing now like if you don't stop eating meat if you don't stop driving anywhere if you don't stop flying places this will be the end and it's terrifying for a lot of people it is. I mean, it's the new Cold War. It's mm. the new you'll go to hell if you don't do what the, you know, what, what the church says. It is very cult-like, actually, it, isn't it? In the way that they yeah. kind of it tries to capture your mind. It's very zealous. Mm. It's very ideological. And talking about ideology and how we're not supposed to eat meat. So the latest news last week is should our pets go vegan? 
I don't think my Labrador will be keen on that. Oh, God, because you've got a dog too, I've right? I've got so a Labrador. Now, if you, he eats pretty much anything. Well, okay, so this is a good point. Now, dogs will eat anything. Mm. Let's not deny that. They will, but what do they prefer? Now, if I offered my dog a little choice bit of pork fat or chicken yeah. liver or carrots, I can tell you every single time what she'll go for. Yeah. It's the meat. Yeah. Absolutely, Always. because they are they're omnivores, but they're yeah. also carnivores, and also you know dogs don't want plant based substitutes, do they? You don't want to present your dog with a lamb chop, which isn't a lamb chop; it's beyond meat or whatever it's called. You know, it's made to look like a. Lamb I don't chop. want to eat it. My dog doesn't no. want to eat it. But it's one of these things, you know. You look at the research because I thought I'm going to look at the research. That you look at the actual study, and this was a study that's sent to the pet owners. The pet owners are completing it. It's not like anyone's done blood tests mm. on the dogs to see how these different diets worked out. Some are on a normal diet, some are on a raw meat diet, some are on a vegan diet. Yeah. It's not like they've actually been medically assessed. It's how the, the owners report the dogs are feeling and whether they've got any new medical conditions. Mm. So it's not super robust and they did it for a year. So we don't really have long-term, long-term no. data on it. The other thing is the study found that the dogs that did best were the ones on the raw meat diet. Yes. And yet the headlines are should pets go vegan yeah so you can see how it's really kind of ideologically mm. twisted now we've lived with dogs for up to fifteen thousand years and you know there's um burials from thousands of years ago that showed the love that dogs were buried with they were given personhood mm. status and i can't think of a worse betrayal of our ancient relationship with dogs and to start feeding them vegan food it's ridiculous they're descended from wolves but it's also feeds back for me into this kind of what we are now living in which is a very indulgent society very self-indulgent one of the reasons that these kids are so worried about climate change is because they haven't got much else to worry about Mm. you know my generation which is probably slightly older than yours um we grew up when there was very little to have i mean 1970s and people keep saying, oh, we're going to go back to the 70s. We're not going to go back to the 70s. Everybody's got their private mm. iPhone, which is actually a more powerful computer than the one that sent man to the moon back in the 1960s. You know, mm. you're walking around with it in your hand. People are living much longer. People are much healthier. People are having better lives, yeah. better outcomes with all sorts of different diseases. And, and they're all much better off. Yeah. You know, we didn't have anything in the 70s at all. Well, it's a really good point that actually children around the world from here to Mongolia have never faced a brighter, healthier future, and yet they're being told their future is doomed. Mm. It's, it's ridiculous. It you is. Just look, Greta Thunberg says the house is burning. No, look around you. It's not, it's not burning. It's well, not if burning. the house was actually burning, it would have been burnt to the ground quite some years ago when she started spouting all that rubbish. But unfortunately, she thinks it's still burning. She, she obviously go, doesn't she know much. She needs to go much, back to school. She doesn't know much about science if she thinks a house can burn for several years. Yeah. Because it doesn't. Let's talk about um, our favourite French president, oh. Emmanuel Macron, oh. with the hairy chest. What oh. did you make of the hairy chest? I just don't know what he's thinking with all these photos. He's re- he, first of all, he's pretending to be Zelensky in a hoodie. And then, was that photoshopped? That was an extremely alarming chest The wig. chest. I mean, it did look I a like, bit like... I like a hairy chest. I mean, it looked a bit like I that like film. His. I don't think I can say the actual title of it, but The Spy Who, mm, me, you know that one. Uh, <laughs> hey, baby! It was like that with the chest wig. It was amazing. Uh, yeah, but he takes himself seriously. He thinks this is real. Now, you know... Putin can almost pull off a, a, a chest, bare-chested uh, horse-riding shot. I don't like it. I don't fancy Putin for anyone's yeah. worried. But Macron lounging back in his smarmy, slimy, yeah. francophile way with his chest wiggles is awful. But on to the serious, uh, the serious <laughs> nature of uh, the discussion about Macron. We can't just focus on his creepy chest it hair. It is creepy. Um, also, I- you know, do a couple of buttons <laughs> up, man, for heaven's sake. It was very odd. 
God, he's he just loves himself so he much. He does. And, and there we go. He's arrogant. He's an incredibly arrogant mm. leader. He's technocratic. He's authoritarian. He's arrogant. He's chauvinistic. And let's not forget, he wanted to piss off the unvaccinated. Mm. He is a cretinous president. I literally, I, I barely have words yet, for how much I dislike him. all these people voted for him, which is slightly baffling no, 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 no. to the sophologists. No, this is not, uh, this is being touted as a victory for the, for the centre mm. and for France and for Europe. This is not a victory. Mm. Four out of ten voters voted for Marine Le Pen. They yeah. voted for the hard right. Mm. They had the highest level of abstentions for 50 years. Mm. 8% of voters did what, you know, is effectively a sport ballot. They didn't, they didn't mark either of them. Right. Okay. This is not a strong win. Come 2027, he can't stand again. Mm. And what will happen then? There, France will have had even longer in an, um, a cost of living crisis. Um, well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because if you look back, say, for example, to even the time of Theresa May, three or four years ago, uh, when France and Germany were basically running the EU, Angela Merkel, Emmanuel Macron, they seemed unassailable. Mm -hmm. uh, now Angela Merkel has had her reputation trashed. We yeah. had Donald Trump telling uh, Piers Morgan that he actually sent her a white flag to say, you know, you're kowtowing to Russia too much. And now look what's well, happened. Well, he was right. And her entire, of course he was right. He was right her entire legacy has now been energy. tainted. Macron, as you say, has limped into power for a, last, for a second term purely because of what I think is happening, um, which is that the, the, the whole kind of um, way that people vote has changed dramatically. I think it's been mm -hmm. completely compartmentalised. People vote for very many different reasons now. Um, yeah. So it's a fascinating situation. France is split. You've got the metropolitan uh, middle classes voting for Macron. You've got disenfranchised people, rural people voting for Marine Le Pen. And, and Le Pen's economic policies were actually genius. She wanted to cut tax for mm. under 30s, reduce VAT. What that country needs is economic stimulus. Unfortunately, they're going to have Macron mm. for, the, for the next term. And there's term. not going to be much economic stimulus coming from the EU. Tragically, though, we are out of time. No, we are. No. But don't worry; it's always good to leave people wanting more. That's you, my view. You always leave me wanting more. That's the thing. Well, you know, I can't say too much about that. <laughs> but that's the way it is here at the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Laura's low down. Brilliant from Laura Dodsworth. Thank you very much indeed. We'll see you next week. Uh, we'll be back with more uh, from you as well, of course. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand is the number. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. They're coming to you from the Talk Radio studios. Uh, we launched it yesterday. It's the newest national television station in the country. We're all over the shop. We are in Sky. Uh, we are in Virgin. Uh, we're, of course, we are on uh, Freesat, Freeview as well. We're on YouTube. Uh, we're on Apple TV. You cannot miss this show. I'll tell you what, it's almost, almost as big as that Tyson Fury fight of the weekend, which we're about to talk about with the man who put it on, Mr Frank Warren. Frank, welcome to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Thank you very much and appreciate it. I have to say, I watched, I mean, it did take me, and this is partially due to my age, because I don't know if you've read Jeremy Clarkson's column at the weekend, but he was talking about how basically you can't get anything done uh, with television these days. You have to have a fetus come in and do it for you. And I ended up with my 15-year-old. I spent most of the day trying to get trying to buy the fight you know we ended we ended up getting there you know just to, just in time um but what what an occasion i mean i was going to say to you even before i saw that the, the britain has now been kind of pin, pinpointed and that show has been said to be one of the greatest sporting events of all time i mean as i watched it as i watched the build-up to it i thought this is incredible i mean this is like nothing i've ever seen and it's in my country and it's at wembley stadium and it's a, a heavyweight title fight with a british guy who's going to win it was. It was. I mean, it was a phenomenal event, and uh, you know, BT uh, done a brilliant job in their production. All the guys there was fantastic. Yeah. We all worked hard to make it 
make it the success it was. But then obviously it's all built around Tyson Fury, who's yeah. become you know he's become the biggest star, star in sport, an incredible man, boxing. an incredible man, yeah. and also you know such an unlikely kind of hero figure, isn't he? Because you see him. I mean, my my kid's mother was watching it going. He doesn't look very fit. I'm like, don't tell him that to his face. I mean, he doesn't have that honed body that you're used to seeing, does he? No, I mean, you see guys, you know, they look like they've been carved out of marble, but he's not. He's just a, he's just a natural athlete. Yeah. He's got great, great engine in him. He's got great stamina. And on, and on the bubble, he's a, he's a, he's a marvellous boxer. And he's an incredible athlete, actually, he when is. you think about it. He is. Six foot nine, is he? Six nine. Um, eight, I think he was 18 and a half stone on the night. Um, and when you think when he came back was it about three and a half years ago he was uh, ele- nearly 11 stone mm. heavier right carrying all that weight that's incredible isn't and it and he's got it off and you know and uh, it, and what he's done is phenomenal yeah. especially where he's came where he came from you know he had a, he had a terrible time where he was uh, he was boozing he was mm. taking drugs he was uh, suicidal he was on the brink of committing yeah. suicide and he's been very open about that hasn't yeah. he yeah and I think that's great for you know for people who have you know for mental illness for a, for a guy like him, you know, the heavyweight champion in the world, to say, look, this can happen yeah, to me. Totally. If it happens to you, go and you know, go and seek some help because mm. you know you, you, you need you need to speak to someone right. about this. And I think for him, he's been a bit of a hero for, for for you know for that for that you know for what he's done for mental health. Sure. And how hard is it to put something like this on? I mean, you know, it's so big. At Wembley Stadium is so kind of you know massive as a, as, a, as a place. I'm looking at a story today saying that 94,000 fans uh, for the coronation of Tyson Fury, the biggest crowd in British boxing history. It's the biggest crowd to ever attend a boxing event in Europe. Right, and it was ma- it was massive. I mean, we 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 thought we'd go the whole hog, mm. so we did the the, the fireworks, yeah. the ring walk. You know, to make it an event. The ring walk was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, was. you know, when when Dillian White didn't come out straight away. And you could sort of hear a little bit of, you know, murmuring and stuff. Yeah, but that was yeah. really good as well. Yeah, he, he, he sort of dragged it a bit. But mm. once, you know, once we got him in, then Tyson came out and the place just, I mean, it was it was electric. Yeah. And it seemed like every single fan there was there to support him. Mm. Uh, well, he sold all the tickets on his own. You know, right. when the day day one, we, we um, put it on sale and it sold out in two and a half hours. Wow. And what sort of things go through your mind when you think about putting something like this on because presumably there must be other Frank Warrens out there or wannabe Frank Warrens <laughs> who are trying to do it well, you've been doing this a long time it, I have I've been doing it 42 years yeah. with the Boxing Board of Control and four years before that with uh, with the NBC um, what did I think about it? well first of all we had to win the fight with right. a purse bid and we bid 41 million dollars right. with the winning purse bid and we outbid our rivals by 10 and uh, then we had thinking about right now we've got to make this work we've right. got to sell it because it's a gamble nothing's yeah. guaranteed and when you come and, up with that safe figure, you have to you've already worked out what the ticket pricing is. Yeah, you sort be. of got you've got a good you idea. Know, where's the break even and all that? Well, you it's all about will it sell? You, so you're thinking this is what you will gross if you sell the tickets. Yeah. And the fact thankfully all that all our um all our you know, the the positivity that we had towards it all worked out for us mm. at the end of the day. We're still waiting for the pay per view results, but they'll be very good as well. I would think so. Um, I, I think I paid for about eight times by the time I finished, like <laughs> doing different various logging. It was you. Oh, was it? it was oh, me. Great. Yeah, That's yeah, fantastic. yeah. I'm going to be coming back for seven <laughs> seven refunds. But you know, <clears throat> the other thing that I found incredible was the warmth that everybody has for yeah. it. And and at the end of when you know that people are watching it who wouldn't normally say be watching boxing. 
that's when you know you've broken through. And, and when he sang at the end, because I, I was going, is he going to sing? Oh, he's going to sing. Everybody wants him to do that. Yeah. He's just crossed over. He's mm. gone from being a boxer, a sportsman, to being a, a national mm. national figure. Not just here, as well in, as well in, in America yeah. and around the world. He's, he, he, he's a, a unique character. I genuinely think he's the most... He's got the most... He's the most charismatic boxer yes. since Muhammad Ali. Yes, you know that's how that's how he's. I mean, I look back. And on what's the he boxes. like to hang around with? Is he's he? Is fun. He, is, he seems like he would be just like he appears to be. It, what you see is what you get. He's mm. good fun. He's got a, he's got a great sense of humour. Very down to earth. He's, he is a man of the people, yeah. and that's why the people turned out for him. Yeah, absolutely right. And of course, the big question is: um, Can you raise enough money to persuade him to come? And I was reading a story the other day saying he might come back for a hundred million. But, I mean, that's not out of the question, is it? Uh, look, you know, at the moment, let him go and enjoy Let him go and bask in the glory yeah. of, what, of what was his, his his fantastic night with his family. He's been away from him for nearly four months in training. Yeah. So now, you know, it's time, it's family time. And we've got plenty, plenty of time to sit down and chat about it and then work out what happens mm. in the future. At the, mind, he, at the moment, he's, his head is in, in the uh, retirement moment. Yeah. If he wants to do that, then so be it. But... I think he's a fighting man. He's an actual fighting man. He loves boxing, and yeah. uh, I'm sure he'll come And back for most there. boxers, I mean, we've got Ricky Hatton coming back. I mean, for most boxers, they don't really want to stop, do they? I don't agree with that, though. Don't I don't you? agree that he should be boxing. Okay. You know, I lo- Rick, Ricky and I are good friends. I promoted him. He won his world title with me in Manchester. Well, that was a fantastic night, too. But, um, you know, 41, 42 years of age, he's not lived the life outside the ring. No. He shouldn't be fighting. And also, the last time I saw him getting beaten, it was a pretty bad beating he got, wasn't it? Well, he did. He, he, he had a couple of couple of um, tough fights. He, he was unfortunate for you. He was in the era era of the peak uh, Manny Pacquiao mm. and uh, Mayweather. Yeah. I mean, great fighters of yeah. their generation. Um, but... You know he's been out the ring too long, and he's you know it's, it's, he shouldn't be doing it. It's dangerous mm. for him. Yeah, and I think that's an issue, isn't it? I mean, yeah. but surely if that was the case, then the British boxing board of control well, they won't license. Uh, they'll won't do, license they'll it. do that without the, they'll do that as an as uh, unlicensed by the boxing right. board of control. Yeah. which is look that's that's what happens in in this world. But it is it's a, I think it's um, it's not a good thing for boxing. And it's certainly not a good thing for Ricky Hatton or Barrera for that matter. No. And what's the next big thing on the Frank Warren calendar then? Or are you going to take a little bit of time off now? Uh, taking a bit of time off. We've got a world title fight coming up on the 21st of May at Derby County mm. uh, at, their, at their ground. And we've got Zach Parker in there with Andrade, which is a cracking fight, a really, really good fight. And I'm looking forward to that one. Okay, going to be brilliant. Well, listen, Frank, thanks for popping in. We wanted Thank to you. play a little bit of the uh, the singing and all the, and all the shenanigans, but we can't now because we're now on proper TV. So uh, we can't <laughs> nick other people's stuff anymore. Unfortunately, you should let me know. I'd have got you. I'd have got, I'd have got the clips for you. <laughs> well, listen, we'll have to do that another time. But brilliant to see it. Fantastic event. Thank you. I think it really also it made me proud to be British to see a British sporting event in Britain at one of the top venues Lovely. in the country so I thank you for uh, for flying the thank flag you, and we'll see you again soon Frank Warren you. Uh, if you haven't seen the fight by the way it's worth buying it even now and I'm not selling it for him because I'm not getting a cut here unless you know something <laughs> changes in the next 10 minutes uh, but we will be back with more we'll take your calls 0344 499 1000 also I'm going to be telling you why we don't need another bleeding bank holiday so you can get lost with that idea. This is Talk TV. Talk Radio. Unbelievably realistic. It's the home of common sense. Non-complicated radio for a complicated age. Just like the real thing. Talk Radio. Nationwide, by your side. Talk Radio and Talk TV.
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. I have to say, very much enjoying being part uh, of all of your lives right now because I'm getting some great pictures being sent of people watching me uh, on their televisions inside the old living room, uh, inside the kitchen, uh, wherever. It's a great thing. Talk TV launched last night uh, with Tom Newton Dunn, with Piers Morgan, uh, with Sharon Osbourne, with Jeremy Kyle, a whole host of guests as well. It was a brilliant brilliant start uh, to what is now Britain's newest television station and one which I think you'll find uh, is going to entertain you, uh, make you laugh make you cry, uh, make you think of all the things uh, that we could do coming up a little bit later on, Lewis McLeod is going to be joining us um, he may indeed do a little bit of Ian Blackford, Mr Squeako uh, he may also do a little bit of Harry and Meghan, Harry Harry, Harry can you can you please get Piers Morgan off the, off the television, he's talking about me again never mind all that we'll get to that later on but i'll tell you what we're going to do now before we take some calls do you know that we have nine bank holidays this year right in this country now i know that people in scotland will say oh we've got a couple of other ones maybe in wales maybe northern ireland nine in england certainly uh, are going to be run including the one for the queen's platinum jubilee now of course we should have a, probably a holiday for the queen's platinum jubilee because it's a celebration of her platinum jubilee however the cbi and the hospitality business have decided that they would like the uh, set the, the bank holiday the new one the added on one to become permanent so that we would have nine every single year well i think we've already got enough bank holidays let's face it i understand that uk hospitality business uh, is in need of some uh, some cash but looking around at the moment i would say they're doing pretty well um, and I'm always a great supporter of hospitality. But I think on this occasion, to say to people, we need another bank holiday so everybody can go out for dinner and go out to the pub, I don't think that would be what would happen. I think we'd just get another day where people didn't do very much work. And all the people with real proper jobs, of course, would have to go and do them anyway because they'd have to serve all the people who want to have a day off. So, for example, if you work in the NHS you'll still be working bank holiday. Oh, no, probably no, you won't, because actually, if you remember, every Easter weekend, they didn't work very hard. So my point is this. We don't need another bank holiday. The CBI ought to know better than anyone that what we do need is the economy to be boosted. Now, you might say that loads of people are going to go out and spend money, but people at the moment don't have very much money to spend. So if you give them a day off work, probably they'll be worse off uh, rather than better off. So I think it's a stupid idea, idiotic idea, no more bank holidays. In fact, I would reduce the number of bank holidays we have already. Instead of having nine, why don't we put it down to seven? That would be a better idea, wouldn't it? This is Talk TV. Let's talk to Sharon, who's in Milton Keynes. Hello, Sharon. Hello, how are you doing? Very well indeed. What can I do for you? Good. It was just your um, subject about um, passports. Yeah. Um, my son, who turns 18 in June, it has applied for his first passport, um, applied for it in January, and we've had conflicting messages from the passport office to say they've been trying to contact him, which right. we haven't had any correspondence apart from an email saying this. Um, and one says um, everything's fine, and the other one says there's there's an issue. Mm. And he's been for the past month trying to contact the passport office, and you're put in a queue and then cut off because right. it says um, they're, they're too busy, too many calls at the moment, so they can't take your call. And he's been ringing up at various times in the day 
and we just can't get through to them. It sounds very familiar. This this is what happened at the DVLA. It's also happened at yeah. various doctors' offices where you just can't yeah. speak to a human being, can you? That's right, because he's also been applying for um, his provisional license as well. Right. Um, and Good we luck had with the that. same issue with them. Yeah, exactly. It just seems to be at the moment that any government body um, isn't offering any form of customer service. And I work in that industry, and mm. we, we put our customers first, and no way would we have them hanging on the line for an hour and a half. Well, you can't afford it, can you? Because you've got a proper business as opposed to the civil service who literally couldn't care less because what? not only is it not their money, it's not even yeah. their business, really. No, but it just seems, you know, they don't mind having their, their customers waiting for an hour and a half. They're, they're offering no form of, of service whatsoever. And the same with the, the doctors as well, because this morning I tried to get an appointment. Um, I can't get one until May. It's unbelievable. I mean, it seems to me, and I know that this is a refrain that those who listen to me a lot will, will have already heard, but for those who haven't heard me say it, we've got a terrible state of affairs in this country where we we've have. got a police force that doesn't yeah. arrest people or at least arrest the wrong people. We've got doctors who don't want to see any patients. We've got airlines that don't want to fly anybody anywhere. We've got a border yeah. force that doesn't want to stop anybody coming in. We've got a passport office that doesn't issue passports, a DVA yeah. off, DVLA office that doesn't answer the phone. I mean, what is going on? I don't know. I, I just think, you know, if, if the MPs themselves were to try and um, access this service, I'm, I'm sure that they wouldn't be happy sitting on the phone for an hour and a half waiting to speak to someone. It's just so frustrating. And, and I'm worried now that he won't be able... It's his first um, holiday abroad with his friends. Um, I'm worried that he won't be able to go. Right. And when is he supposed to go? June, for his 18th. I mean, imagine now you're sitting here, what is it, we're almost into May, and you're worried about it. That's terrible, isn't it? I just don't want him to miss out. You know, it's his first holiday. It would be a real shame if all his friends go and he can't go. And it's not through want to try either. It's just complete lack of service again from a government body. Yeah, it really is. And it's so disappointing and it's ridiculous and we shouldn't have to put up with it. Sharon, listen, thanks for your call. Let us know, by the way, what happens, because I think a lot of people will be in the same boat. Simon Calder was telling us that the reason for this delay at the passport office is because loads of people are applying for passports when they don't need to. I'm not sure that's true. I'm really not. And I'm not suggesting that Simon Calder's got it wrong, but I'm suggesting the passport office giving that as a reason is probably not right. Because I can tell you, having been to the passport office with my own son just before, I think, the end of uh, last year, there was only one person on the door, one person on security, one person in the downstairs desk, uh, which is the sort of, uh, you know, welcome desk where they tell you where you go next. And one person upstairs actually seeing people and doing the interview. So literally, normally there would have been about 20. There was one. That's why it's inefficient. Let's talk to Richard in Manchester. Hi, Richard. Oh, good morning, Mike. Morning, um, sir. Uh, it's a great, great privilege for you to, to have me on uh, on your TV it show. It certainly That's is. Talk TV is wonderful. Isn't it great? Tyson Furo, Tyson Fury, the boxing champion, people's champion, and Mike Graham, the people's champion of the airways, because he tells the bloody truth. Yes. That's what I'm advocating to tell people today. And it's, it's really about free speech. Um, free speech, do you remember this one? Uh, once more into the breach, dear friends. Once I do. More. Or close the wall up with our English dead in peace as nothing so becomes a man as modest stillness and humility. But when the blast of war blows in our ears, imitate the action of the tiger. I could go on, but I won't. This is great. I mean, I love a bit of poetry in the morning, as they say. Uh, I've, I've slightly nicked that from Apocalypse Now. But, I mean, listen, um, all human life is here. Uh, we intend to uh, build on what we've already done, Richard, and you've been a loyal listener to us since the beginning. Um, and I can only see great things. 
I, I, exactly. And I think just give us a bit more time out of uh, Blair's corrupt uh, EU. But I'm very perturbed about what is happening in Scotland with this little Napoleonic mm. woman mm. who has set in a lot of laws, Mike, which are completely against freedom of speech. People can't go anywhere. People can't talk. People can't get on the radio. The police can go around and put people in, in, in jail. And that's an actual fact because she did it with uh, Craig Murray for nothing. And, and now she's threatening uh, free speech for the whole of Scotland, and she's looking now for the local elections to say, oh, we've won this now, so now we're going to go for a referendum, and I hope that Boris is ready for the onslaught. Mm. And I don't know what you think about it, but it will be, because the mainstream media will do anything to get yeah. us back in I don't, I don't think, uh, I don't think she stands a chance of winning any kind of uh, independence referendum, and I think even she knows that, Richard, to be honest. But listen, uh, we should watch the North very carefully, as we always do. Uh, thank you for your call as ever, and your a little outburst of poetry there. Very welcome. Car- Gary's in Hertfordshire. Hello, Gary. Oh, hello, Mike. How you it's, doing? Lo- it's, it's so brilliant to talk to you, mate. Um, I've, I've been listening to you for years. Top man. Since you were back with Mike Parry on Talk mm. Sport, I've been listening to you for ages. Well, hey, listen, we've been around a long time here at uh, Talk Radio. We've been doing it for a while. I'm delighted that you joined us today, though, because I feel like this is the best thing I've ever done. Oh, mate, I can't, I'm, I'm happy to be here for the opening day. Good. Anyway, besides the point, um, just briefly, I wanted to talk about the passport situation. Because yes. I had. A, I mean, my, my father died at the beginning of um, December, right? And I've, I've been travelling around a lot for, for the last couple of years, mm. and I knew I knew that I needed to renew my passport. And it just one thing and another. My father dying and the funeral and everything else. It just all went up in the air. And now all of a sudden, I'm in a situation where I've got to go abroad, and my passport's not is within six months. Right. So, is it within three months? Because Simon Calder says three months is OK. I'm not sure he's right about that. Well, I don't know, but my passport at the time was within six months. I thought, well, I'll, I'll best renew it, otherwise right. I'm not going to be able to go. So I went down to Morrison's and to get my photo taken, and there was a sign on there saying, like, you can upload it to the cloud. So I uploaded my picture to the cloud, went home, got online, filled in my passport renewal application... And then, to cut a long story short, Mike, my passport dropped on my doormat in six days really? from me from me opening my application and taking my picture. And you put it up in the cloud, and you go online, and it says, "Is this your picture?" And you go, yes. Honestly, six days within a week, and actually, you have to send your old passport off because they have to cut the corner off and send it back to you. And it took longer to send my old passport back to me. And it did to actually give me my new passport. Amazing. Honestly, if you go if you go online and do it, if if, if you got, I understand a lot of people aren't savvy and they haven't got computers and everything. But honestly, if you do that, literally within a week, ten days, you you will get your passport back. Yeah. Well, they, I mean, it's not me that's saying it's a prop. There's a problem. It's the passport office saying there's a problem, and they're the ones that are saying if you pl- apply now, you might be lucky to get it back in ten weeks. That's what they're saying. I think you were probably fortunate, Gary, and I think there will be others that are like you who have been able to get the stuff back earlier than they expected. But I think for a lot of people, that ain't happening, as our last caller said. But Gary, listen, appreciate your call, and thank you very much for your kind words about uh, what we've been doing, uh, what we've been up to, and how uh, this particularly brilliant television station uh, talked. TV has come to being uh, in service to you um, and to all of you uh, who have not listened to us before. Welcome. Uh, We've got lots more coming up in the next hour. This is, of course, Talk TV.
Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.